are listening to Aspirational Wealth, a podcast to help you to build, grow, and protect your money. Investment and finance are complicated subject matters, but the better you understand them, the better you can put your resources to work in the service of your life's aspirations. Now, here's your host, Dan Mayer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the pilot episode of Aspirational Wealth. My name is Dan Mayer, and I'll be your show's host. By trade, I'm a financial advisor, and I've wanted to make a podcast on money for a long time now, because finance and investment aren't really part of a general education, and so many of us as adults are kind of learning it as we go. And oftentimes, that learning curve comes with making mistakes that can set us back or even prevent us from achieving our goals. So I'd like for this show to be a resource to everyone who wants to create, protect, spend, and leave wealth. But more specifically, I want the show to help my listeners to map out how money can help them and their families to live fulfilling and impactful lives. Listen, digits and decimals in your accounts have no significance in and of themselves. The meaning in wealth lies in what it can enable you to have or to do or what it can prevent you from having to have or do. It costs money to see the Parthenon, and it takes a substantial amount of it to put your children through college. You need to have financial stability in order to walk away from a job that makes you miserable. But to put it simply, money is just a resource. It's not an end game. So, With this being our first episode, I thought a good natural starting place for the show would be to examine how the creation and the utilization of wealth can and should be targeted to increase happiness and personal well-being. As you, the listener, create and implement your individual financial plans, hopefully your North Star isn't money alone or the accumulation of money alone, but fulfillment. With that as the objective... Let's begin with a fundamental question, and this one's a two-parter. Why is your money important to you, and why do you want to build your wealth? I asked a number of my colleagues, friends, and clients this question, and here's what they had to say. Um, money for itself is, I don't think I'm, I don't really necessarily chase the money. Um, it's not, that's not what necessarily motivates me. I really, what motivates me is to stay free (laughs) and I need money to do that. Right. Um, so that's, I think that's what motivates me. It's fuel is blood. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's just a tool that we use to manifest whatever we want to see in this world. I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about uh, why money is important to me is is the word security. Um, I, you know, grew up in a very middle class kind of I'd say lower middle class kind of family. Um, and for me, it's 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 you know you you look at security in the sense of I mean if you just kind of break it down all the way into like you know I think of like food security. Can I put food on the table for my family? You know, I got two kids, family to support. Want to want to be able to just the very basic put food on the table. Um, do we have a roof over our head? So housing security, it's another kind of security thing that pops into my head. Um, just being able to put a roof over our head and, you know, just have a place that we know we're not going to get kicked out of, you know, we're not going to, we don't have to leave. Uh, we can stay here. We can, you know, we got a roof over our head. One of the reasons why I'm really pushing this idea of spending time with my family 
is because my father worked at, at a factory and my mother as well for 30 plus years. And they didn't really get to spend a lot of time with us. But the little time they did, they really showed us that they appreciated that. So now that I'm, you know, doing a little bit better than they are financially, um, I think about it that way. It's like before the little window that my dad or mom would have, they would spend spend that with us um, and cherish it. And now I get that to build a bigger window with my parents and with my family, with my kids. Um, so that's the way I look at it. When I started my career, I spent money and bought things and thought that it would bring me more and it it did for a very short amount of time and then i was stuck with the with the monthlies and i was not very happy with the monthlies i could have done better with less monthly payment and more financial freedom and then i kind of realized that the financial freedom is is probably where the value is at at the most basic level i would say that money is important to me because it helps provide basic necessities right? Like shelter, food, clothing. Um, but how much money I have will also determine the quality of those said necessities. So for example, more security and access, maybe um, better education, living in a safer neighborhood, um, more networking opportunities and other comforts and a sense of freedom. Throughout the conversations that I had, I noticed that there were some universally regarded components to why money was important to the folks that I interviewed, but that each of those were specific to the individual. For example, in almost every conversation that I had, there was a notion of freedom, but what that freedom constituted to the individual was different from person to person. For some, freedom meant the ability to travel and have unique experiences. For others, that freedom meant being able to spend more time with family. For others still, freedom meant having optionality to pursue career interests that were more rewarding or less stressful because money wasn't the principal determining factor. Another common theme was that of security. Most people that I talked to in some way, shape or form articulated that security as having the peace of mind that their basic needs were covered as well as the needs of their families and communities. Many added to that the security of being able to retire without being in a state of fear that they'd outlived their accumulated savings. I didn't spring these questions about the importance of money on my interviewees, but rather I gave them each a few days to consider. This was not meant to be a spontaneous exercise because these questions provide the pillars of a financial plan, and so they should be pondered, examined, and re-examined along the way. Money is a resource and a tool in the pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. At least it should be, right? Pardon the interruption, but we have an obligatory disclosure. Even though I'm a financial advisor, this show is not financial advice because I don't know you. I don't know your circumstance, your objectives, your time horizon, your risk tolerance, your tax liability, your estate planning dynamic, and what makes you tick. In the absence of all that, this show is instead an educational podcast on general best practices in personal finance and investment. Before you do anything actionable, consider strongly if it is a suitable decision for you. Now back to the show. So if money is a resource that can and should be utilized in the pursuit of happiness, 
One would think that there might be a correlation between making more money and attaining greater happiness, right? Well, interestingly enough, there have been a couple of prominent studies conducted on that specific relationship. One at Princeton, which was headed up by Nobel Prize winners Angus Deaton and Daniel Kahneman found that there was a directly correlative relationship between greater income and greater subjective well-being, which is academic for happiness, but that this relationship started to break down at the $75,000 a year income threshold. As is the case with pretty much everything academic, there were a few qualifiers and caveats that further complicated this. In their research, they broke down subjective well-being into two parts. First was evaluation of life. And this was described as the views that people have about their life when they think about it. The second part was emotional well-being. And so they basically had a thousand test subjects and the emotional well-being piece was measured by questions about emotional experiences that subjects were asked to describe from the day before their interviews. The evaluation of life score increased throughout the income brackets, but the emotional well-being scores were the ones that deviated at that $75,000 a year mark. This basically indicated that a lack of emotional well-being was compounded by financial insecurity. Kahneman summarized the finding with a quote, money does not buy you happiness, but lack of money certainly buys you misery. However, a senior psychology fellow by the name of Matthew Killingsworth from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania had contradictory findings to Deaton and Kahneman. Killingsworth found that the correlation between income and happiness rose in a steady but slightly complicated way in perpetuity through the income brackets. He articulated, it doesn't mean that $1 matters just as much to Jeff Bezos as it does to someone earning minimum wage. It means that 10% more money might have the same effect for everyone. Furthermore, he stated that when you have money, you have options and that can manifest in different ways. So between the two studies, who was right? Well, the two camps determined that the only way to find out was through a scientific battle royale that they called an adversarial collaborative study. It was in that study that they identified that the original Princeton test was more accurately identifying income as a mitigating factor on unhappiness rather than a causal factor in happiness, and that Killingsworth's findings were more accurate in the collaboration. However, the flattening of the correlation was found in a subset of the higher income earners that encompassed about 20% of that group. And the finding was that their unhappiness could not be alleviated with more money. Stress, heartbreak, health issues, and mental illness could be examples of that group for whom higher income didn't address the source of unhappiness in a meaningful way. The Behavioral Policy Department at Princeton summarized, money can keep buying happiness for already happy people, but among the most unhappy, the money helps stave off unhappiness only to a point. All right, what's the takeaway? Well, we've established that a lack of money is a limiting factor on freedom, optionality, and security. We've also concluded that empirical studies linking money to happiness show a fairly compelling correlation between them. However, that correlation isn't nearly as compelling as that of positive personal relationships and happiness. Money is just a tool. Actually, one of my interviewees said that currency should flow like current to energize self, family, and community. 
And I think that that's a really good way to put it. Piggybacking on that metaphor, we should all be very intentional about the circuits we build so that that energy is put to good use. In this podcast, we are going to go down the rabbit hole of personal finance, taxes, estate planning, and investment. But the North Star with which we use to navigate those topics should always remain happiness, fulfillment, and positive impact. I appreciate you listening in, and I look forward to continuing the conversation in the weeks to come. Take care. All testimonials and endorsements given were uncompensated and freely provided.